Hello, this is Unanimous Indecision. I'm Joshua Troop, and it is the best day of the week because it's Wednesday, which means we are talking Tick, Tick, Boom, the latest movie on Netflix, I think. Uh, and we'll be getting into that, reviewing it today, also talking this past week's movie news. And uh, before we get started, though, just want to remind all those first-time listeners where you can find us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Twitch.tv, slash Unanimous Indecision, where you can hop in the live chat, share your thoughts and theories about whatever it is we are talking about. And I'm trying to remember my opening spiel. I've totally blanked on it today. Um... I guess we will be spoiling this movie, although it's a play adaptation, as far as I understand. Uh, so it's been around for a while. Uh, but otherwise, we'll just be talking a ton of things. There's some great news stories that I can't wait to get into. Uh, Ian was potentially supposed to join me today. I know he didn't last week, but uh, I think his internet just cut out a few hours ago. Uh, so we will be jumping into it. Um, I'm also going to have to step away in a couple of minutes because I have some food in the oven. And I want to make sure it doesn't burn. But uh, we'll just see how far we get, you know, doing the movie review, talking movie news. Uh, lots of good things. So tick, tick, boom. Uh, the semi-autobiographical. Why am I having trouble pronouncing that word? Autobiographical. There we go. That's how you pronounce words. Uh, the semi-autobiographical um, musical by Jonathan Larson. Uh, and this is a film adaptation of it by a guy who has been kind of pumping out a lot of musicals and as far as the audience sees it, they're all wide successes. Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of the other one. Um, the, we, I can in the Heights. I was thinking of the song's name from all the trailers and whatnot. Uh, in the Heights, Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, directed this tick, tick, boom. It is the name of the um, oops, the play that Jonathan Larson wrote, but he's also um, it's about his life, uh, and, and it's really interesting uh, because I don't I don't know if I've ever seen a musical that's biographical, which is kind of interesting. And they say right at the beginning that like this is based on a true story, except for the parts that Jonathan made up. And it's like, okay, well, that's very, uh, that's a very truthful way to tell this story. Um, and first impressions, to be honest, is that Andrew Garfield is a spectacular actor. And between this and like Hacksaw Ridge, he, he is a fantastic actor and you know, there's some alternate reality where Amazing Spider-Man 2 never happened and he didn't get, like, violently ill to where they couldn't make a third one or whatever and cancel the Spider-Man projects with him and all, all that stuff. Um, and where he was able to keep acting for the past six years continuously. Instead, he hasn't done it too much because I think 
like I said, he got like incredibly ill. But he's such a good actor, and now that he's maybe back, uh, that's good for every movie watcher everywhere, because <laughs> it's all good to have good actors. Uh, so, so it's really interesting. It's about like his life and basically trying to get his first uh, musical picked up by Broadway or whoever will pick it up. Uh, and basically, it's his entire passion about this one story that ultimately i mean i'd never heard of the other story that i forget superbia i don't think i've ever heard of it uh so i'm assuming it just still never saw the light of day uh because it was just a little too convoluted so then he his next project was tick tick boom where he basically wrote about his own life and you know the rough patches he had of uh, trying to build this artistry career and dealing with other things going on in his life, like friends' deaths and uh, other relationship problems and uh, struggling with money and just a very human story, I think. Uh, but a lot of the, the music all works really well. And I mean, like, it's a very... It's really cool because it emphasizes so much how much he saw himself as this creative genius, this artist, and he's like self-aware that he's misunderstood kind of thing. And then, but then this movie itself is almost kind of the same thing that the movie is about a protagonist who is self-aware about his insane creativity that is just like off the charts and half the people will never understand it. And then the movie itself is just this creative art piece. And it's so artistic, occasionally hopping into like his mind, hopping back and forth between, I guess the first iteration of Tick, Tick, Boom, maybe. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, but it like constantly switches to, Hey, this is him kind of describing his whole life, kind of like a stand-up comedy special or something. And then we actually get to see those events happening and he kind of explains details throughout it. And, and just that back and forth is done really interesting. And I, I'm not... I feel like, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the the it looks like as a stage play, but uh, I feel like this movie, I can't imagine it as a stage play. The amount we hop back and forth from uh, seeing this sort of narr narrated play, and then actually going to see the scenes of his life. Like, I, I don't know how you do that on a stage play unless they do it just the same way where they're constantly switching back and forth. Then, <laughs> okay, then. But, uh, and it's just really good. And it's got some great symbolism. Of course, the main one being the clock tick, tick, tick of time running out. And it's, it's kind of a really sad story. I mean, it's not kind of, it definitely is a really sad story that 
he had such a viewpoint that at the age of 30, you might as well be dead. And his uh, looking at, as an artist, I should say, and him looking at this uh, Stephen Sondheim as like his idol who is able to write his first Broadway uh, musical at the age of 27. He was uh, turning 30 in a week, so he wasn't able to beat it or tie it. He's feeling like he's behind, behind the curve. And then ultimately he dies at the age of 35. And so it's like, well, on one hand he was wrong. He lived past the age of 30, which is nice. And then he actually did get wide success, even if a lot of it was uh, after he had already passed. But then he just passes away. And so it was, it was a real kind of tragedy and really brutal. Uh, but, I, but I think it's done really well, uh, focusing on kind of the three main characters of Jonathan, Michael, and Susan. Uh, Michael being his former roommate, kind of best friend, and Susan being his girlfriend. And their, their kind of relationship, the way they bounce back and forth uh, from everything. Uh, because Michael ends up leaving the arts to go into marketing, and he actually becomes very successful at it. And then Jonathan's like, kind of sees that as a coward's way out that he should have stayed to be an artist, but, um, uh, you know, different, different, different strokes for different folks. But I think the music is fantastic in this, which I think is probably one of the most important parts to a musical is that how well the songs sound, uh, the plots very interesting. You're always curious, like, how is he going to solve this problem? Um, and then I will say there's a scene where he's in a focus group um, to try and make a couple quick bucks. And he's in a focus group and they're doing creativity exercise and he's like nailing the creativity exercise. He's putting these very flowery phrases out there and they're all like, wow, that's amazing. And then uh, they get to describing the actual product that they're going to be naming in the focus group. And the product has so many side effects. It's basically poison. And then he comes up with this ridiculous name that like, it's just a bad name. It was like Chubstitute or something. It's a bad name. And he's saying at the end of it, he's like, I thought it was funny. And I'm not gonna lie. I thought it was funny too. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's such a bad product. It's so bad. Um, and yeah, why not then? Um, I don't have a ton to say about the movie. It's just very stylized. Uh, it's, it's a play adaptation. I'm sure it was somewhat faithful to the play. I think one of the big differences I'm seeing is that the play may be, uh, the Jonathan, Michael and Susan play multiple characters which is interesting uh so maybe they're the only three people in the original play but this one we obviously get to see a bunch of people uh so i, I think it's interesting i mean my uh, sister was very involved with musical theater so having grown up 
kind of around this stuff uh, is almost a little bit nostalgic watching it, even though this was much before my time. <laughs> and so it was just a little nostalgic seeing uh, musical theater actors again and creators. That uh, it was very familiar, and I thought I thought it was done very well, very interesting. Um, and I mean, if nothing else, Jonathan Larson at least got to tell his own story the way he wanted to tell it. So uh, I am going to go ahead and move on to movie news now. Um, it is just me, like I said, so it might end up being a shorter show, though we do have a lot of news articles. But before I get into them, I just want to remind everyone to rate, review, subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or twitch.tv slash unanimous indecision so that you can get notified whenever we post a new episode. Uh, or we can get some feedback from you and just grow the conversation and talk about all the movies and TV shows that we love because that's what it's all about. I'm going to step away for a moment to get my food out of the oven, make sure it doesn't burn. So I will be right back. All right, I am back, and now we can hop into some movie news. And what do we got this week? I remember there's a ton of news articles. Uh, starting off a little bit about the industry, uh, Disney is having a little shakeup, I guess. Uh, Disney's board member, Susan Arnold is going to succeed Bob Iger as chairman upon his exit from the company. And this is kind of interesting because I know what everyone's saying. Well, I thought Bob Chapik replaced Bob Iger. And you're correct. Bob Chapik took over the role of CEO from Bob Iger. However, Bob Iger remained as chairman of the board. Um, and I guess it's pretty typical probably in most large companies for the CEO to also be uh, head board member. However, Disney is now no longer going to have that be the case as the CEO will be Bob Chapik, but the chairman of the board will be Susan Arnold. 
And so I think that's kind of interesting. I think it points to a lot of the controversy that uh, Bob Chapik has brought internally to the company. There's been a lot of discontent from what we've been hearing. Uh, so I, I guess we'll have to see what ends up happening with Disney's leadership. And, and the whole reason I'm talking about this is ultimately there are five major studios that make movies, that make media uh, and there used to be six, but Disney bought one of them out. Disney bought Fox and pretty much everything more or less gets made by them or at least distributed by them, by the five companies. And so whenever one company is doing some shakeups, everyone's kind of watching in the space because who knows where, I mean, talent can always move around from company to company. And then also, um, if a company makes a really bad decision, you start seeing it get reflected in its work, such as what is that guy's name? I Pearl Pearl Mutter or something, something like that. Uh, there was a guy at Disney who was like a toys guy and uh, merchandising, and Kevin Feige's job was technically under him, and so there's a lot of talk that certain Marvel movies made choices specifically to have toys sales kind of thing. Kind of like what a lot of people say about the prequels, that the prequels are just there to sell toys of Star Wars. Uh, I disagree, but yeah, there's a lot of colorful stuff in there that I definitely want to buy. So maybe it worked. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've got a whole shelves of this sort of stuff. And so I'm just not too sure what exactly is going to come out of this. The reality is probably not too much um, as far as we're concerned. But who knows? Maybe some movies will get an easier green light and some movies won't after this. Um, and next up, we got a ton of movie trailers that came out this week. Uh does appear Ian is back online. I wonder if he'll join me. Let's see. Uh, where was I? There's so much news. I have to scroll around a little bit. The Return to Hogwarts trailer. So this is a reunion show, kind of like the one we got for Friends that I think was an absolute disaster, although this one sounds a little bit better bringing back a ton of the casting. Well, I don't know if the crew's coming back, but a ton of the cast uh, to uh, talk about Harry Potter. And I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm excited to see Gary Oldman talk about Sirius Black. I'll, I'll watch that every day of the week because Sirius Black's my favorite character. Uh, but it, it's a really well-cut trailer. Um, it's just all the actors receiving invitations to Hogwarts kind of stuff. And like, it's very magical and mystical and it's intriguing, you know, like they, they've captured my attention. So it was a very successful trailer, even though I think overall, I'm probably not going to be interested because I don't necessarily always care about seeing the actors talk about the product. I just want to rewatch the product. Like, do I want to? If you had to ask me, if I had two options, one was to watch 
Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, and Daniel Radcliffe talk about Harry Potter. Or I could just watch Harry Potter. I might just watch Harry Potter. <laughs> like, that's... Uh, <laughs> I'd rather just spend time in that universe rather than talking about the universe, you know? Uh, next up, we got another potentially final trailer for The Matrix. This is a cool trailer. I'm super hyped about it. It's a little confusing. It's a little different than the first two looks we've gotten at the movie. Um, it feels like every time they release a new thing, I'm changing my theories about that one guy. Uh, I don't know how to describe him, but I guess I could pull out the actor's name. And maybe he is cast as someone. Matrix Resurrection. I can spell, yes. IMDB. All right. Um, let me respond to Ian real quick as he's fixing his internet. And uh, where is this? All right, this character. Jonathan Groff. Yeah, he's not cast as anyone specifically. And I think that's weird. Oh, this is interesting. The, the actor for Merovingian is coming back. Okay, that's awesome, Lambert Wilson. Because uh, initially off of the first trailer, I was like, is Jonathan Groff Merovingian? Because that's the way he looked. They kind of paralleled a lot of those scenes together. And then in the Deja Vu trailer... I was like, oh, what if he is the new iteration of Thomas Anderson of Neo? Because they were talking about how deja vu, things have changed, but things are repeating. And so you need to pay attention to what's the same, but also what's different. And so I was like, what if he's just another Thomas Anderson? However, this trailer makes it very much seem like he's the new uh, Agent Smith, Hugo Weaving's character. Uh, given the parallel of the Mr. Anderson. And then uh, there, there was another scene we also see of him describing, I guess, the Matrix kind of thing. Uh, and then also, but then it goes back to the Thomas Anderson because we see the same scene going back to the first movie of uh, where Keanu Reeves' Neo had his mouth kind of sewn up in that weird software space and the same thing happens to jonathan groff so clearly his character is just super important right his character is super important the other thing that is interesting here is that jada pinkett smith is coming back as niobe now niobe is pretty much a character we only see in the quote-unquote real world so that is weird that we would get the original actor back because we're not using the original actor for Morpheus, right? So what's so special about her character that she didn't get reset in the Matrix? Um, like, it sounds almost like, is she a program? Is she actually a program? That would be interesting, right? If, Ni if it is a matrix within a matrix, if Niobe is actually just a program, 
and that's why she stays the same. Merovingian's a program, so he stays the same. Like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, additionally, they are bringing back the same actor for Agent Johnson, Daniel uh, Bernhardt. He is reprising his role as Agent Johnson as well. Again, another program. So it's becoming a little interesting, and I'm wondering if there's some sort of argument that everyone is a program to a certain degree. Uh, I mean, humans are kind of just programs. We're just got so much complex code, it's <laughs> hard to say that we're the same thing. Uh, there's also this other actress that doesn't have a casting for her name, El uh, Ellen Holman. She doesn't have a specific part, which is interesting. Uh, I'm so excited for this movie, though. It looks weird. It looks crazy. It looks like a continuation of the series in its weird, leathery ways, which I always appreciated. So let's do it. Matrix Resurrections. I think it's a good trailer. Um, it's definitely accomplishing things. It it might be giving stuff away, but I don't understand what it's giving away. So from that perspective, it's doing a great job. It's got me intrigued. I definitely want to see the movie. I already wanted to see the movie, but now I really want to see it. So good for them. Uh, next trailer was Peacemaker. Peacemaker dropped a full trailer. I know what you're thinking. Didn't we already get a Peacemaker trailer? They're, I don't know what the heck's going on in Hollywood. They seem to be dropping like minute and a half long teasers and then a minute 45 second trailers or something like that. So I don't know what the actual difference is anymore. Uh, the Peacemaker trailer basically turns the show fully into a comedy, uh, which I, I think I'm there for. I think James Gunn's humor uh, is usually pretty good. And uh, the John Cena is doing a terrific job. It, it seems like a lot of the jokes land. I hope they're not revealing all the jokes in the trailers because the trailers are pretty funny. I'm just, you know, you got you to gotta leave some, some of the cake behind. You got to leave some of the cake for the party. And I, they seem to be giving a lot of that away. What the actual story is about in Peacemaker, I have no idea. Um, conversely to that, I guess not conversely, because I also have no idea. Additionally, separately, also, uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 released a trailer. So the sequel to the, it won an Oscar, right? Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse? Into the Spider-Verse. Did it get its Oscar? Yeah, wins Best Animated Picture. Uh, oh, look who is joining us today. Stand by. As I figure out how to do this. Uh, what's the best way to do this? Sure. We'll get there. Uh... <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, doing well. Uh, yeah. I just got Wi-Fi back after about six hours. So Nice. It's a good thing you didn't need it. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
how's uh what you been uh talking about just talking about the spider-man across the uh spider-verse trailer i don't know if you had a chance to see it uh is that i think so that's the one where she dropped down i think so yeah yeah, yeah. he's like in his room yeah so it's a continuation of the final scene right and right. then it's uh, a whole lot more, and we get to see. It's interesting that we don't get to see him speak. I'm assuming it's still Oscar Isaac, though, <laughs> playing uh, Spider-Man 2099. Right. And we get to see him kind of attack Miles, which I think is interesting. Uh, maybe Miles like starts really exploring the multiverse to have fun and Miguel's like, you are destroying everything. <laughs> well, it seems like she's the one that wants him to go out and, and, and do right. more. So yeah. what, what reason does she have for that? <laughs> Gwen is the villain. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, it looks very pretty again. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like different universes are going to have slightly different art styles, which is a fun idea. But other than that, I have no idea what this movie's about. It's also I mean, interesting that it's a part one rather than. Right, right. So at least I think that was. A, I feel like that was a mistake, especially when you have going live action Spider Man Homecoming, Spider Man Far From Home, Spider Man No Way Home. Mm-hmm. And then you do Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, Spider-Verse, or Spider-Man out of the Spider-Verse or something. I don't know. Right. Um, to to just kind of have some fun with the naming convention rather than across the Spider-Verse part one, across the Spider-Verse part two. That'd be kind of lame. Well, it, uh, it appears they're not going to listen to to reason and they're doing their own thing. I mean, who knows? The first one was a smash hit, so... I think I'm just see your thing is being against single first name uh, movie titles. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I think I'm against the part one, part two idea specifically of more than two movie long franchises. I completely agree. Deathly Hallows. It's dumb that Deathly Hallows part one, part two. What is it? New, New Moon? No. What's the last Twilight? That one's also Breaking Dawn, part one, part two. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. A bunch of things are having it now. They almost did Justice League part. Did Hunger Games do that? They, uh, right, that. they did. Mockingjay was part one, part two. Uh, and so it's like, what is, what is up with that? Just call them separate things. I get mm-hmm. it that it's the final book. Like, I know. Um, but Dune, Dune, it's okay. Dune, if Dune is only two movies, it'll be part one, part two. Now, once they make that third movie, I think it will be interesting. But if he calls it part three, I'm there for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I prefer consistent naming conventions, except for with Fast and Furious, because they've actually changed it every single time. So as long as they continue to change it every single time, that's kind of a pattern in it of itself. <laughs> right? Like having yeah. no pattern is a pattern which I appreciate. What do you call Fast and Furious 11, though? There's no, like, fate or... (laughs) They'll come come up with something. Yeah. F11. (laughs) All right. But, yeah, I think it looks beautiful. 
And then what was our next movie trailer? Oh, not not really a full trailer. Um, it also was like almost no new scenes. The Boba mm-hmm. Fett first look or second look, another look. I don't know what they're calling this. Maybe it's a full trailer. It's like a minute long. It doesn't feel like a full trailer. I'll say that. But what I will say about this is whoever is cutting trailers for Disney Plus Star Wars deserves a raise. Because the Mandalorian trailer was one of the most beautiful trailers I've seen in a while. And then this Boba Fett trailer specifically, I love this one more than the first one. And the first one got me hyped quite a bit. I was like, oh, there's a lot of cool iconic stuff coming back from Tatooine. I'm into that. The thing that this one does really well is it masters the show don't tell. There's literally no dialogue for 50 seconds in this minute long trailer. (laughs) And then the only dialogue you do get is Boba Fett saying, in the desert left for dead on the sands of Tatooine. I am Boba Fett. And it's like, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> uh, but the rest of it was just all uh, hype of the idea of Boba mm-hmm. Fett returning. Like, it wasn't so much about Boba Fett returning. It was just hype around the idea of Boba Fett returning. And I was like, this is a good trailer. I'm excited. Like, I'm intrigued. There, there's nothing I want more now other than just more. <laughs> Stay weeks away. Yeah. And so I was like, this is a fantastic trailer. It's out of all the trailers we've been getting, and we've been getting some good ones, like some good Matrix ones, some good Spider-Man No Way Home ones, where I'm like cheering the whole way. Mm-hmm. I think this one's better than all of them because it doesn't tell me anything. It's literally just like, look, he's back. He's yeah, it's to get you excited, but not giving anything away. is giving him his costume after it worked on it or something. And then he's threatening someone. And then he's negotiating with someone. He's at a table like a mafia master. He's sitting in Jabba's chair. Like, it's just showing me cool scenes mm-hmm. that I can look forward to. Without giving me any context whatsoever. Even though the first trailer already gave me the context. But... <laughs> So I think it's fantastic. I don't know. I don't know if, I mean, you, you don't seem like you want to talk about it too much. So maybe you didn't watch it. Uh, I mean, I watched it as, as we were going. Um, it looks interesting. Uh, I mean, it's getting the idea of Boba Fett coming back, coming out like this December. So that's exciting. Um, I don't, I didn't get much from it, but. Yeah. Right. Right. It's okay. just, well, it's just there to build the hype. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's what trailers are for me. True. In, want, in that case, it does it well. I, I'm tired of getting more than building the hype. <laughs> True. There's like a, 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 a content within trailer that you keep going up as you get more content. Mm-hmm. But there's a definitive peak in every trailer. And you want the trailer to end at the peak. <laughs> Um, that a lot of other trailers keep going and then they're like oh let me tell you about the whole story and, <laughs> and you're just like I'm no longer hyped for it because I know everything now yeah so 
I mean, it all goes back to spoiling the hype, man. That one movie. That one movie. Jeez. All right. Do you want to take over the news or? Uh, I could. Uh, I haven't looked at any of this. Okay. So if you have, it would probably be better if you did. Okay. Uh, Battle Chasers, everyone's favorite comic book that I've never heard of. Uh, is getting a TV series from John Wick creator Derek Colstead, uh, based on the comics at Action Entertainment. Hmm. Uh, cool, cool, I guess. Is this the comic that Keanu Reeves is writing, or is that something else? Oh my gosh, you actually might be right. That might be the same thing. No way, though, right? No, his, the one he's doing, doing is Berserker. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I just read it follows a ragtag. So it's a what an interesting choice of words. It's set in an arcane punk world. Relevant. <laughs> uh, follows a ragtag group of heroes, a disgraced, heartbroken swordsman, a cynical thief, a cranky wizard, a war machine with a kind heart, and a young girl whose missing father left her a pair of magic gloves well beyond her capabilities wait is this just arcane <laughs> arcane but they're all working together rather than separately maybe uh it sounds kind of cool i like the D, D sounding aspect of it all apparently the uh the comic it's based on launched in 1998 so it's been around for a while wow mm-hmm. uh well i mean I think the thing that's cool about this is that uh, we, the John Wick guys, all the John Wick guys understand gun gun combat far better than anyone in the, in the industry right now, at least as far as entertaining goes. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is based on the way this sounds what's the closest to a gunman the wizard there's not even an archer in the group maybe the war machine has a gun i don't know but otherwise i'm like, sure they'll make the, com- the the combat uniquely interesting as well though yeah and, and that's what i'm saying that's what i'm excited about is to see what they do without gun combat right uh to see a more fantastical version of john wick <laughs> Because, like, obviously they do the John Wick stuff really well. They did in Nobody, mm-hmm. which was a super fun movie. Um, I think they also had some input on Gunpowder Milkshake. And that movie had great gunplay as well. So, like, yeah, the, the, they know guns. Right. This will be cool seeing those guys uh, do stuff with other things, you know? Mm-hmm. Like swords and demons magic and magic yeah i think it's cool sounds cool where's this gonna go it's a tv series does it even say don't tell me it's apple (laughs) i'm looking Uh, to see it yeah i don't see anywhere that says i need to sneeze Hmm. wait what uh still looking in this article for a company i didn't see one i see no a couple of the issues were published under dc comics 
Okay, if it's DC, then probably go to HBO Max. That would make sense. It, although that's not its most recent home. Its most recent home was like an independent publishing company or something like that. So I'm, not, I'm not really sure. Then I have no idea, but as we get closer, <laughs> I guess we'll find out. True. Uh, Chaser's IP apparently also has a video game. It's cool. All right. That's enough of something I've never heard of. But good for fans of Battle Chasers. Mm -hmm. So, you've seen trailers for the new West Side Story? Uh, no, but I've heard news about it. I haven't seen anything All right. about it, though. You know, it's got your classic greasers. Is okay. what they are? Standby? I don't know what they are. I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> um, it hasn't come out yet. But yeah, it's. Um, I think she's Puerto Rican. Okay. Some Latin country. It, it. I don't even know if this. No, no, no. It says. Well, Spielberg was at least intending for it to be Puerto Rico, even if it's not quite Puerto Rico. Um, but so you have West Side Story. You know, tale of two factions, star-crossed lovers, your classic Romeo and Juliet setup. It's a story as old as time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, West Side One Story. One of the true stories. Getting its latest adaptation by Steven Spielberg. Uh, you have your uh, Caucasian greasers and your uh, Puerto Rican family, I guess. <laughs> uh, and needless to say, uh, he decided that the uh, Spanish characters would still speak Spanish for the majority of their scenes. And there will be no subtitles in English. So half of this movie, more or less, will just be in Spanish, which on one hand is kind of cool. On right. the other hand, I, I don't know if people who don't speak Spanish go see it. Well, true. Uh, he said that um, like, the actors are so expressive that like he thinks that it'd be understood no matter what. Hey, I, I hope that's true. I mean, if anyone can pull a, a performance, look what Spielberg did to the rubber shark. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Spielberg can pull performances at anyone. So he's like maybe greatest director of all time you got like wow. him and hitchcock kind of stuff even though they're two vastly different directors mm -hmm. uh and then you get of course got like james cameron in there and still pumping out wins after every single one and ridley scott and, but but yeah steven spielberg so if he's saying that i mean like that's good reasoning but <laughs> You know, uh, people, the average person, like there's a lot of reality TV shows that are basically just soap operas, let's be yeah. honest. And there's a reason why the average American does not watch Spanish soap operas. And I'm pretty sure it's because they're constantly speaking Spanish. Maybe. Most people want to understand what's going on in the content. And that doesn't necessarily mean the spoken word. I I actually think it's really cool that he has the Spanish dialogue in there. 
Um, but I, th I think you could have subtitles. It's okay. <laughs> it's like well, it's like the opposite almost of Parasite. You know how <laughs> how uh, what did the director say? He's like, "Are you kidding me? You can't read the one inch subtitles or whatever." <laughs> like. <laughs> And Spielberg is just like, I'm giving you the movie without subtitles. <laughs> like, I mean, Parasite's a pretty expressive movie, and I don't think I would have understood it as well as I did without the subtitles. Fair, fair. Because the subtitles give a, just that little extra detail so that you can contextualize, I don't know, the difference between happiness and contentness kind of thing. Okay. I don't know, because because I think sometimes like, I think sometimes we express like positive emotions very similarly <laughs> from a visual standpoint, mm -hmm. but we can use different words to verbally express that. Um, I'm not sure where you're going with this. I don't know. I think a good writer can use different adjectives. Like, there's like a million adjectives you can use to describe something. True. And so by taking away that outlook and you can only do it from a visual perspective, you no longer have audio descriptions for sure for people I mean, that speak Spanish to be clear. I was like, one might argue that that's more like art. Yeah. But <laughs> how many foreign films do you watch without subtitles? I don't typically watch foreign films. <laughs> so so. I, I've never watched a foreign film without subtitles and I've watched a couple. I wouldn't say a lot. But I've watched a couple. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't have watched Train to Busan without subtitles. And I think that's an amazing movie. I wouldn't have watched it without subtitles. It didn't interest me if I couldn't understand what the characters were saying. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I'm not necessarily going to go learn a language. To... <laughs> I mean, maybe eventually. And then I'll just really start watching Korean film, which would mm -hmm. definitely be worth it. But for now, I'll just watch them every once in a while with subtitles. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, but I mean, I mean, it, I think it'll be up to the audience to determine whether this is a good decision or not. I mean, if everyone goes, yes, this is the greatest version of West Side Story ever made, then yeah, okay, I guess it was the right decision. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, it's definitely a risk. Definitely a risk. But I mean, one of the film critics uh, from IndieWire said it was a genius move to omit this context, the verbal context. He's clearly looking at it uh, like on a bigger scope or something. And yeah. I mean, he's seen. Fair. <laughs> that's true. He already has it above you. That's the, that's the context he has. <laughs> Um, so I, once I see the movie, maybe, maybe I'll feel like it is genius. I mean, if anyone's going to make genius moves, Spielberg's got mm -hmm. my money. So, uh, I'm excited for it. seems good. I don't know if I've ever actually seen a version of West Side Story all the way through. And I mean, like actual West Side Story, obviously there's like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if West Side Story is like how different it actually is from Romeo and Juliet kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, can we call these the same kind of movie or not? Is Greece also the same thing? Is like, I don't know. Maybe. 
it's like um trying to like narrow or like um confine all movies to a certain type of outline yeah how many movies fit these 10 bullet points <laughs> right right yeah. what makes an original story at this point right yep well cleopatra galgados cleopatra mm-hmm. was supposed to be the next venture for the patty jenkins galgado uh dynamic duo after Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 1984, getting ready for Wonder Woman 3, they decided to take a hiatus from all the Wonder Woman action and pump out Cleopatra. Instead, Patty Jenkins left. She's no longer the director. She will remain as a producer, but she's no longer the director. This is an interesting move, considering this just stepped away from a project with disney so this article though yeah i'm not too terribly sure but in this article it specifies that it will give her more time to work on wonder woman 3 as well as star wars rogue squadron but we but we've already found news that rogue squadron was this art, she was I, mean, I I don't know which one to believe at this point. Right, right. Because it, it talks about that. There had been fear recently that this movie was having significant problems mm-hmm. and its fate had been in question. It seems rumors of its demise have been exaggerated as Patty Jenkins is still working on the movie. Okay. So I don't know what's going on with that project anymore. Interesting. I'm pretty sure that movie's supposed to come out in a year. So I don't think it's likely <laughs> to be. No, it's not coming out in a year. Which one's coming out in a year? Avatar 2 or Star Wars Rogue Squadron? I have no idea. Avatar 2, I think, is coming out in 22, though. Avatar 2 release. Okay, yeah, she's got two years left, which is plenty of time. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't know. They, this back and forth is a little concerning, I guess. But uh, it, it's also interesting because I think Patty Jenkins is a really good director. And on one hand, this is kind of the downside of the way Hollywood works due to fans. Mm hmm. And Christopher Nolan explained it best uh, when talking about Inception. I think it was. No, it was, Inter- was it Interstellar Inception? I don't remember which one it was at this point right now. Um, one of them came out in between The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. And he basically said, I made The Dark Knight so that I could make this other movie. Because he needed enough people to love Christopher Nolan movies through The Dark Knight, through Batman Begins, through these awesome Mm -hmm. creations that he was making with massive IP so that he could tell an original story, whether it was in Inception or Interstellar. And I was like, a big budget one specifically, because like obviously he had done so in the past with like Memento, but that's a very clearly low budget movie. Yeah. (laughs) And so, but to make Interstellar or Inception, those are very high budget movies with a he has lot to show of that he can, 
that you can make a, a film that delivers and whatnot. Yeah, and have the box office to back it up, mm-hmm. more importantly. And uh, on the flip side, though, with what's going on with Patty Jenkins, the fact that she's leaving Cleopatra has me a little concerned. Uh, I mean, I think things will work out overall down the road. But it's like, okay, she made Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984. Enough people, I think, like her movies, even if 1984 was mixed reviews as at, at best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like if she wanted to make Cleopatra and now she's stepping away from it and going back to bigger IP things. Mm. I wonder if she feels like there was a setback or someone else feels like there was a setback in her career. Like, I, I don't know. This is all speculation. Well, um, wouldn't Cleopatra give someone that, that recognition? Give someone that? No. Because what would you rather see? Would you rather see Rogue Squadron or Cleopatra mm. as the average movie go? You're going gotcha. to say one of the biggest five franchises of all time. Right, right. That's what you'd rather see. Even mm. though Cleopatra might overall be a better movie, who knows, uh, and might actually mean more to her, I don't know. But, uh, and I mean, this isn't director specific. I just think even though like where Christopher Nolan used it as a stepping stone, of hey using big ip so that he can tell his own stories now right if it does you can almost like fall down the rabbit hole with it i feel like to where like what if patty jenkins never makes a non-big ip movie again interesting the only movies she makes from now on are dceu and star wars and dress, I don't know, but like they're always just big IP projects. She never goes back to her own pet projects, like a Cleopatra, for instance. Interesting. Um, because, like, what if she's just like it's just easier working with? Well, I would hope not. I, I tend to like when I, mean, I hope not. Also. Creators can you know make the the projects yeah. that they want. Um, I guess it's possible that she could be like t- essentially typecast. I don't know if there's a, a word for that um, for I like definitely directors. I mean, I would give that to. I was we were talking about Tick Tick Boom today. Lin Manuel Miranda has exclusively made musicals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he is kind somewhat about minority groups, more or less. I mean, like Hamilton's not technically about minority groups but it's like a minority spin on it i guess i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know how to describe it um and then obviously in the heights um about the latin population uh and then uh tick tick boom has a lot of uh lgbt stuff in it and so like <laughs> i would definitely typecast him that's not a bad thing it's just right right a generalization about someone's work so far it's only typecast it's only a bad thing when someone wants to leave that <laughs> right. genre exactly. or whatever that they've been yeah. cast into. Yeah. If that's what he wants to do the rest of his career, he's set. He's True. clearly done it pretty well three times. So True. Uh, but yeah, that, that's just like my only concern about this. Like overall, I don't really care. I mean, 
Cleopatra I will, I guess, be, however it is. Right. I mean, we'll get it soon. Uh, but it'll be extravagant. I hope Patty Jenkins, because she is a really good director, uh, is able to do projects she wants to, <laughs> I guess, mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Because um, it will also make the big IP stuff better. Like, I think you kind of see that with James Cameron a little bit, that he sometimes does big IP things and then sometimes doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then he has realized that this Avatar thing, he really wants to run down the, the gauntlet with, so he will. Uh, on the flip side, Ridley Scott is turning things into big IP, such as Gladiator, <laughs> turning it into a franchise, maybe, which would be weird. True. But I'm good with those sequel. I mean, I'm not complaining. Uh, what's next? This one was exciting. This one is exciting. The Man Without Fear. Maybe one. one of my favorite superheroes of all time. Daredevil. Daredevil. Uh, especially portrayed by Ben Affleck. Uh, Daredevil will be returning to the MCU. Uh, and I shouldn't say returning, will be making his debut in the MCU. And with the ultimate twist, according to Kevin Feige, if you were to see Daredevil in upcoming things, Charlie Cox, you know, that guy from the Netflix series that got three seasons and also showed up in the Defenders show. Yes, that would be the actor playing Daredevil. Where, where we see that, how we see that, when we see that remains to be seen. <laughs> But in the interview, he did there. in the interview, as soon as he said that, Amy Pascal like uh, snorted almost like a, like a smirk uh, and started laughing. <laughs> kind of, kind of, which makes me think, and some other people think that it's going to be in Spider Man: No Way Home, considering that's the project that she's the only one that she's allowed to touch. Yeah, and we did also have that leaked photo that potentially put Charlie Cox in the movie. because mm -hmm. we got two leaked photos. And one of them we definitely saw, but we didn't see the Charlie Cox one, so it still kind of put that one up in the air. Right. But given that it came from the same source, you'd think that they'd both be true. Dude, this is super exciting, and I am so happy that he's going back, uh, as most people are. Uh, do you think this with so Feige listened to the fans and brought back fan favorite to play? Do you think that will carry over for another character from Netflix? Shows? I think if we get Kingpin, it'll be Vincent D'Onofrio. I think if we get I hope so. Punisher, it'll be John Bernthal. I um, hope so too. And I think, I mean, I think if we get Luke Cage, it should be Mike Coulter because I think he did a fantastic job. Um, and if they want to keep Finn Jones for Iron Fist and give him another try, I say go for it. I think they should. I, I think might they should. be the only one to say go for it. The only reason I'm saying go for it is it's weird to bring three out of four back. It is weird to bring... And yeah, to be it is clear, weird. I did leave out Jessica Jones, Kristen Ritter, which she should come back also because she captured that role perfectly. They just need to write it a little differently in my opinion. I think <laughs> Finn killed it in season two of Iron Fist and it popping up in Luke Cage. I think he absolutely... Yeah, he was good in Luke Cage. Yeah. Should have gotten a season three. That would have been the season for him to finally be good. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, super exciting. 
Yeah, this is super cool. I'm super hype. We're uh, gonna, we're gonna get a costume change probably. Um, yeah, I mean, we've been getting costume changes left and right. I feel like for these heroes, I think. True. Is there a hero? Hawkeye. Is it Hawkeye? I don't know. You, you might be right. Well, ask the question. We'll see. No, you might be right. I guess. Okay. <laughs> is there a character who hasn't had a costume change? Like. Hulk. No, but he gets shorts in one of them. He okay. gets the purple shorts. Fine. Um, you know, he, he gets different different shorts, sweatpants. <laughs> uh, uh, Ant Man has the suit changed. Yes, it did. It changed oh, between okay. one and two. Okay. Uh, he has that whole like tech thing on his arm now. Uh, uh, before it was like just a button, and now he's got like these whole sliders and a whole TV screen on <laughs> on his arm. He's got his iPhone with him. And so yeah, I think every superhero has had a costume change with each movie. Did wasps change? I mean, she only had like one movie to really get to utilize it. Oh, between that's true. Maybe in Endgame, people didn't get costume changes. Very most people yeah. didn't get costume changes. Yeah, I I'll say for the Avengers movies, probably not. But for just about every solo film, I think everyone got a costume change. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because Captain America in Avengers is still wearing the the classic one. Mm-hmm. He's he's still wearing the 1940s one because they're like, hey, here you go. <laughs> hey, I found this. You should wear it. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, uh, but we could see confirmation of your previous question in the next two weeks or so if Kingpin does indeed show up into Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would know whether it's Vincent D'Onofrio or not. Hope points to yes. True. Uh, I think it'd be a big... The thing is, I think it'd just be a big mistake. It would have been a mistake to recast Daredevil. It would have been a mistake to recast Vincent D'Onofrio. Like, to just recast without reason, it would be a mistake. If they were able to come up with some sort of reason that, like, if the actor didn't want to do it, but both Charlie Cox, Vincent D'Onofrio, I won't even say both. Also, uh, uh, John Bernthal, John Bernthal. The three of them have been so loud about how much they want to return to these roles. Uh, maybe Charlie Cox, the least. Yeah. And he got his role. Back. Uh, so like the fact that the three of them are so such eager beavers to get their role back, like they, <laughs> it'll be weird as a fan being like well that's weird the the actor wants to play the role they've done it before they did a really good job the studio's trying to fill a role with someone who can do a good job Mm -hmm. and maybe some experience that doesn't hurt oh you have experience in the role but you're not going to take it (laughs) like it would have to be such a drastically different version of the character for you to make some sort of decision like that that I just don't know that you would make it from like a PR perspective. <laughs> with now with this confirmation, do you think this 
raises the chances of the other three from the shows coming back. Iron Fist, Luke Cage, or Jessica Jones. I don't know. It's always tough, especially because Jessica Jones, her kind of thing in the comics is that she's forgotten. Mm. Like, that's brought up a lot. <laughs> uh, I think the... I, I won't even say it's the first time she meets Spider-Man, but she, in, like, 2008 or something, there was a comic book where her and Spider-Man interacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, mind you, this is in the comics, so the ages of characters are vastly different, but uh, Spider-Man's like, hey, what's up, Luke? Talking to Luke Cage, and then he's like, oh, who are you? Nice <laughs> to meet you. And she's like, I'm Jessica Jones. We went to high school together. <laughs> like, <laughs> and Spider-Man's like, what? <laughs> like for Peter Parker being the shy kid that no one notices, he mm. she's the character that he didn't notice. <laughs> she's even better at the at his own yeah. his own game. That's funny. And so her kind of thing is being forgotten. So like I don't know. And then the fact that her stories are typically like really. <laughs> I mean, her story is really dark. Um, and it was, at least for season one, was done super well, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would just be like, <laughs> I don't know if you how you Disney-fy the Purple Man story. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. <laughs> it's like a pretty serious topic. Right. Well, um, well, actually, let me rephrase it. I know exactly how you Disney-fy it. I don't know how you Disney-fy it and people don't riot. <laughs> yeah. Luke Cage, on the other hand, you could retool a little bit to be a little less serious. Um, even though I think it derived off the seriousness. Yeah. Uh, I mean, definitely all of the Netflix shows really had yeah. this. Like they yeah. felt lived and they felt that you could see that everything um, had consequences. Do you want to show it doesn't have consequences? Hawkeye. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Did you watch this week's episode? I haven't seen this week's episode oh, yet. Man. Uh, I need to do that. Dude, I was halfway through the episode and I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> Get me out of here. I'll talk about more of it on Friday, but Yikes. I was just like, what am I watching? why am i here get me off of disney plus right now (laughs) that is not great um i finished the episode the second half was much better than the first half okay i just got it for the first half but it was a long first half uh do you know who else is actually returning to the mc who maria hill kobe smolders playing maria hill guaranteed in secret invasion i think an obvious choice an absolute obvious choice you already got nick fury you got talos yep go ahead and bring in maria hill always a classic um especially if they do start going down the route of like maria hill comics wise where nick fury after shield he does kind of become like a superhero on his own and kind of become just Nick Fury rather mm-hmm. than Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. And okay. Maria Hill, Hill, Maria Hill takes over S.H.I.E.L.D. and is kind of really mean. <laughs> like she's somewhat totalitarian in her leadership. 
uh, authoritarian, I should say. And so, like, I wonder if we'll see Maria Hill kind of go down that less likable path. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it could be interesting. Uh, but yeah, they're getting quite a cast for this movie show. That's what I said. Yep, show. Uh, Samuel Jackson, Kobe Smulders, Ben Mendelsohn, Olivia Coleman, Amelia Clark, Kingsley Benadir, Christopher McDonald, Killian Scott. Like, this is sounding pretty good. Yeah. Now, how many people are going to be painted green and turned into scrolls? I don't know, but. <laughs> Not too many that would raise the cost of the, of the show. <laughs> yeah, but I think I'm excited for that. Anytime we get more. Uh, Maria? More con- continuity, continuous characters. Mm-hmm. I think it's good. I like Especially if we go with like somewhat secondary characters. Like I, I think that's where it really feels real. Mm-hmm. Like it's cool that the primaries are getting passed around and whatnot. Like it's cool for Doctor Strange to show up in Spider-Man. But I think it's cool that Wong is there for a moment. That's cool. Yeah. I think it's cool that Wong was in uh Shang-Chi. That's cool. It could have been Doctor Strange, but it wasn't. I mean think about that like last year and, and just hearing the thing Wong shows up in Spider-Man. And you'd be like, well, that's, that's yeah. not right. <laughs> right. You're like, why? But okay, cool. I'm in. More crossover. We expect it now. We just say, who's going to be in this time? Yeah. When does Foggy show up? What movie is that? Obviously, Foggy shows up in Blade. Just because. You know. Okay. Blade sometimes fights vampires in New York. And that's an. Foggy yeah. would be a great victim. That is true. He would be a really good victim. <laughs> uh, he likes mustard in his coffee. He loves do you think mustard in his coffee, as John Favreau has taught me? Do you think, with Charlie Cox coming back to the role, that we'll see either um, Foggy and Carrie Foggy or, or, as or well? Karen. Yeah, I was, was going to go for their names. I forgot them both. I would wager yes. I forget the actor who plays Foggy, but uh, Karen is Deborah Ann Wall. Mm-hmm. Um, I would wager yes. I don't, Elton Henson. I don't know necessarily when we're going to see them. Right. Because, <laughs> be, because again, it goes back to what I say. Like, it is really cool that they pass along the secondary characters as well as the primary characters. Mm-hmm. The fact that the primary character won't be able to introduce his own secondary characters for a while. Because it's not necessarily a continuation of what we know from the comp or from, yeah, from Netflix. It's, that, it's a new version of the character. Yeah, which means those side characters are also new versions. Exactly. And so like it'd be a little weird, but it'd be cool. I'd be up for it. It'll just take a moment to catch up and just be like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> right. Uh, what else we got? So I was very confused by this next article. Uh, we got our first glimpse at Kang in uh, Ant-Man 3. And I looked throughout the whole article and couldn't find it. <laughs> Only to realize it was on their, uh, like, 
the cruise shirt gift, gift shirt. Yeah. And it's a reflection in the Ant-Man helmet. Oh my goodness. But it does have blue armor Kang, as far as I can tell. That looks to be blue armor Kang to me. I don't know what you're looking at. The screen rain article? No, I know I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm just trying to see the, don't the image. See it. So it like, looks like a blue off. figure with red hair. It's a purple scalp. It's a Okay, okay. scroll up. Okay. Scroll up it to the top yeah. to where you see Cartoon Kang from the comics. Give me a second. Yeah, I see it. You see that? Now scroll do. back down to the reflection in Ant-Man's helmet. Is that uh, not the same image? He's a ginger. <laughs> That's not red. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, hang on, let me, let me go on a different monitor. Wait, 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 wait. I forgot that this other monitor changes color. <laughs> it's a little purple on one monitor, and it's more purple on the other. <laughs> Maybe. It's purple. I see red, but I'll, I'll believe you. Ant-Man's getting a costume change. He's got his helmet broken, right? True. Uh, that's going to be really hard to shrink down uh, like that. <laughs> Everything but his head. <laughs> That'd kill him, I think. <laughs> Probably, although he's already been a baby and a senior citizen, so he's he lived a full that. life. He has done that. Um... What else do we have? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, some Spider-Man things? Just kidding. We're not there yet. No. Nope. Uh, some sequels already confirmed, although probably to no one's surprise, let's be honest. But it is nice to hear confirmations. Shang-Chi and the second Legend of the Ten Rings. <laughs> Shang-Chi 2 will be happening. I think there's a great move. I That would be a great movie to introduce Iron Fist in. <laughs> True. If you haven't already, you that would be a great moment. Uh, especially since they have such parallel stories <laughs> with the Heart of the Dragon. Yep. Uh, fun, uh, interestingly to note, this article says that the new deal the director signed with... Um, with Marvel Studios, allow will allow him to develop TV projects uh, for Marvel Studios on Disney Plus. Yeah, I saw that too, and I'm interested. I, I it doesn't necessarily mean that he'll take that, but it gives him the option to. Yeah, I wonder what TV projects they're looking at for him. Maybe it is an Iron Fist kind of thing. Maybe it mm -hmm. is a Defenders kind of thing. Uh, something with the hand, you know. Yep, that would be good. Uh, heck, he could he could do Daredevil. I mean, that would be awesome. Uh, do you know what I just realized? Since we this is kind of backtracking back to Daredevil. Okay. Uh, Father Lampton in Daredevil, the Daredevil show, is yeah. in Spider Man Two. <laughs> is that? Really? I mean, he's playing someone else, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, That's funny. Yeah, he's playing like one of Harry Osborne's board members or something. Huh. Like investors. <laughs> I was like, "That's him." <laughs> so I thought it was really funny. Uh, but yeah, going back to Shang Chi sequel, 
Are there any characters you want out of the sequel? Maybe not necessarily uh, any individual character, but more, I mean, Shang-Chi itself was an extremely mystical movie, uh, but definitely more on the outside of that, seeing if we can get any, because like I was, until they had said it was going to be a pocket dimension or some other universe or whatever, I was figuring that to be one of like the seven cities of heaven. So there are also pocket dimensions. I guess, but that's not one of them. <laughs> yeah. So um, maybe something like that. I don't know any individual character though. That would be cool. Uh, other than Iron Fist, I think the route you actually go for this, even though I would love for Iron Fist to be introduced, uh, you keep going down the family route and you introduce Shang-Chi's brothers and sisters more than just his sister, who is now in charge of the Ten Rings. Uh, he has a stepbrother and a stepsister, I believe, who are a lot more friendly to him than his real sister. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so yeah i think that's probably the route you go and maybe you make the sister the villain or you save that for the third movie kind of go the doctor strange route how you made mordo uh the villain at the end of doctor strange one but you maybe save him till three i uh, you could follow the same model no big deal yep um otherwise there's a lot of characters you can pull from that corner uh Shang-Chi also takes place in San Francisco when they are in America. True. So maybe West we can start focusing up more West Coast stuff. Obviously, we got Kate Bishop now. Potentially uh, Venom. Obviously, Ant-Man's already over there. An agent Venom would be really cool. Dude, hear me out. I was thinking about this uh, since I've been re-watching the Spider-Man movies. Mm -hmm. uh joe manganello he plays eddie brock in uh sorry he plays flash thompson in spider-man in sam raimi's first spider-man imagine that flash thompson you know total jerk really too much testosterone yeah school bully attitude like everyone's afraid of him mm-hmm we're now 17 years later. He went to war. He's now a war vet. He lost his legs. Do the comic book thing. Give him the Venom symbiote. Now you have Joe Manganiello as Agent Venom. That's pretty exciting. I that'd be pretty cool. That. <laughs> that'd be pretty cool. Uh, I think that'd be awesome. Not that I don't like Tom Hardy. I think Tom Hardy is terrific as Venom. Uh, it's just a different version of Venom that I never imagined with it being Eddie Brown. Cool. And then, and I mean, now that we're getting the spider multiverse, whatever nonsense, they have multiple Venoms, you know? <laughs> so, uh, get Joe Manganiello, the Venom, <laughs> the Venom symbiote. That's what I want. All right. Uh, you heard it here first. Happens. It's so crazy. You introduce him as Eddie Brock in 2002, and then mm -hmm. the comics turn Eddie Brock into Agent Venom. Sorry, Flash Thompson. I don't know why I keep saying Eddie Brock. 
And then, <laughs> uh, and then 20 years later, you're able to do it in the movies with the same actor. That'd be cool. But otherwise, it's all exciting just to see where these things are going. Except Hawkeye. I'm sorry. I'm bitter. I'll be. I'll, I'll, I'll try to save the rest of my bitterness for Friday. I need to watch it. Yeah, you do. Another movie already confirmed for a sequel. Again, no surprise here. Venom 3 confirmed. Makes sense. Not a shocker. Uh, during an interview with Collider, a Spider-Man No Way Home producer confirmed, oh, this is Amy Pascal, yep. uh, confirmed that Venom 3 is on the way. Her obviously being in charge of all of the Spider-Man movies, more or less. Uh, actually, just more. She's in charge of all of them. There's no less. Uh, I'm curious to see where it goes from here. We saw that kind of in credit scene in Venom 2 with mm -hmm. the wise cop. Or whatever. Okay. Uh, which could point to a couple of characters. Um, I forget which ones. <laughs> Anti Venom. Anti Venom's one of them. There was another one that its name is escaping me. Um, and so they go down either of those routes, and just more symbiote combat which is cool because they've yeah. clearly been able to show that they could do the symbiotes differently. Riot had very different powers than Venom, which have very different powers than Carnage. And so... And it doesn't make it necessarily look like it's just a CGI blob back and forth. Right. Which I think is like everybody's fear when they hear symbiotes fighting each other. <laughs> I mean, there has been a scene in both films now of a slow-mo of humans fighting within the Within the suits. With, yeah, the, within the, the suits. People are fighting too. Right, right, right. And that's the most like just CGI slope, like putty monster that you see it. But, right, yeah. Yeah, that's so not needed in my opinion. Uh, and then also Venom 2, obviously ending with Venom in the MCU. Mm -hmm. Whatever that means. So, I, I don't know. Does that mean Venom 3 is in the MCU, question mark? Well, she says that, like, there's the wonderful movies that Sony makes, then there's the Marvel Universe, there's our Spider-Verse movies, uh, and we're all very careful to work with each other in a way that's additive for everyone, which makes me think that whether or not whatever happens, or if it doesn't quite get finalized, all of their future movies, Morbius, uh, all that stuff, is going to try and fit itself in a way that it can fit within the MCU, um yeah even if we don't get that confirmation early on like maybe just maybe it's just this i don't know we'll see but it's exciting know. to think that they're planning all their movies around the idea of them being able to fit the needs you it's definitely a start it just gives me flashbacks to agents of shield which also had kobe small doesn't it where they were like hey we're super connected and they actually right. were kind of super connected for seasons one and two yeah, and then never again, and then the the movies started being explicit to basically say Agents of Shield's not part of us. Uh, right, it was very much a one way like connection. Yeah. It was the movie stuff can appear in the show, but the show I think the only movies. instance 
of the show appearing in the movies is the show explains where the helicarrier comes from in Avengers Age of Ultron. That Fury brings. Like, mm-hmm. there's a scene where Coulson's like, I need to borrow this helicarrier. <laughs> and you're like, oh, because they take it to Sokovia. It makes yeah. sense. I get it. Uh, that's like the only way, but again, it's still kind of one way because, like, it's not like in Age of Ultron they say, Coulson right. gave this to me. Wait, Coulson's a lot. <laughs> like, Cap just stops and, like, his eyes go bug eyed, like, wide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tried Coulson. to kill Loki for that, dude. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's good. It's good. I mean, I think there's a ton of excitement around Spider-Man right now. There's nothing but excitement coming out of that wheelhouse, whether it's Daredevil news, Kingpin news, uh, Venom news, actual Spider-Man news, uh, animated Spider-Verse news. Like, it seems like every... We've been talking about Spider-Man every week for the past two months, and I will be talking about it again for at least the next two weeks. And I think every week has just been an absolute win. Right, like there, there's no dull moments. Yeah, um, true. And nothing, it's not like the hype hasn't really slowed down, especially with all like the the panels that they've been like putting out on YouTube and whatnot. Yeah, and to continue that, whether they put on YouTube, they dropped a full scene for Morbius, which the moment I saw this posted, I was like, no, it's the Captain Marvel mistake. We're here because <laughs> I just remember Captain Marvel dropping that whole train that whole train scene. Sequence. Yeah, And I was like, what the heck are you doing? That being said, this scene looks really cool. <laughs> it does. And I think it's early enough in the... Well, I guess the train scene was pretty early also, but I don't know. Does it reveal too much of this one scene? Probably. Should they have dropped it? Probably not. Is it cool? Yes. There's a lot more happening in it than that train fighting scene. Right. I mean, we all knew that this was going to happen. We all knew he was going to transform. This is just showing us us a little bit of his abilities as like a teaser for what we will see in the film. It also kind of shows how dark this movie will be, just in case anyone was mistaken that like, True. oh, Morbius is a Spider-Man character. Let's all go watch Spider-Man with our friends and family. And then like, oh, wait, this dude is brutally murdering people and maybe sucking their blood. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> like that <laughs> not the most family friendly of content yeah. <laughs> it's down there <laughs> <laughs> true but yeah i mean looks exciting shot looks good um i mean this this video right here is where we get that classic image of him like looking back that i yeah. had so much issue with uh and you actually pointed it out when we were watching that um i think this does look better i think with context it looks a lot better yeah. Uh, maybe they also changed it since last time they had they changed some of the effects. I don't really know. But I think with the whole scene and not just this one image, it looks a lot better. Yeah, I feel like in the initial looks, he looked very blue. And it was yeah. probably just the lighting. Because uh, there's a couple shots in this where he looks kind of blue. But he's very clearly like a gray or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think will probably work a little bit better for this particular character all of the other blue characters i definitely want to be blue let, let me be clear if beast is not blue i will be upset beast is gonna be dull gray 
Oh gosh. Now if you give us Grey Hulk once, that'd be okay. Don't give it to me twice though. <laughs> like Professor Hulk. You we haven't even gotten Red Hulk, man. I know. When's it happen? It's gotta happen in the She-Hulk show, right? Hopefully. Oh, or maybe like a hint at like a bomb or something. Why does the She-Hulk trailer look so bad? <laughs> I wanted that show to be awesome because potential Red Hulk introduction. Right. Uh, and Return of Abomination to like a full show, maybe. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't. I mean, that little teaser is just not good. It's not a good teaser. That teaser is the way it's weak. Not, I can't say it. that teaser is the way the Hawkeye show actually is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shut your mouth. We gotta uh, save it, save it for Friday. And lastly, in one of the most exciting moves in Hollywood history, that's not true at all. Uh, maybe a controversial move to some people, but I think this is an absolute win for many people. People always ask, why do movie critics get to see movies before the rest of us? Mm -hmm. And there's some legitimately good reasons for it. It's to build hype for the movie, to um, keep people paid. <laughs> Uh, and like to, to earn the respect as a film, even before releasing it. Because uh, if you win critics' ratings, you could see your awards chances. Right. You know, you're not going to see awards chances from the, the public. Remember, they, they tried to make that Oscar, the, the popularity Oscar, and everyone thought it was the dumbest thing of all time. So. <laughs> So they they tried to do something like that, and it was the dumbest thing of all time. So critics serve a massive purpose to movies. They give a lot of credence to the art aspect of movies. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think screenings are maybe too early, or they allow critics to talk too much about them. Uh, like, if they want to say that the movie's good, that's great. Uh, but sometimes the reviews get a little too detailed. And I don't think that's very likely for this one. Because Sony is limiting Spider-Man No Way Home's press screenings to 40 minutes of the movie. I don't think I've ever heard of another movie Which getting a shortened press screening. Less than a fourth? A third. Maybe a fourth. Oh, it's all. How, how long is the movie? Two and a half hours? It's almost a fourth. It's like 30%. It, it's, it's like 30% of the movie, and that's all critics get to see. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, they really want to hold on to these secrets. Yeah, and that's what I think is the smartest idea, because that this movie has already unveiled so much and there's so much speculation about whatever it hasn't unveiled mm -hmm. that yeah it's it's glorious that they're choosing to not do this for everyone else to spoil it on the internet a week later like us we're gonna be doing that <laughs> uh, if we're allowed yeah i will have to check when they the um, embargo is but yeah uh typically though if movies do have press screenings then 
the embargo is just the day of release. But, but yeah, I think that's super cool. But, like, <laughs> I partially wonder if, like, all these critics watch 40 minutes of it and they're just like, I don't know what to think. I saw a third of a movie. <laughs> like, the movie doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> right. Like, Well, apparently they'll be taken back again to see a, a more complete screening later on. It's all first act. I don't get what this movie is. <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah, and that makes sense. That makes sense. But, uh, I mean, they're certainly not using the critics this time to build hype for the movie. because the They don't need to. They, they have absolutely no need to do that. Like, critics can honestly only, with this particular movie, critics can honestly only bring it down. True. Uh, if a single critic says it's just okay, shattered hopes and dreams right there. <laughs> or, actually, no, I think it'd be the opposite. I think people would come in and be like, How, this critic has no idea what they're talking about. This is like a <laughs> Right. So... Uh, I mean, that's usually true anyways. And then, um, I'm trying to think what else with this. Oh, big young. Uh, I don't know. It's just so weird. It's like you said, never heard of it before. And it, it is weird. Cause on one hand, like, <laughs> I feel like if you hear that a movie is skipping press screenings, if it was skipping them in general, you're like, it's because the movie's bad. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, now that doesn't necessarily have to be true, but I feel like there's an assumption there to make that if they don't want the movies to be seen by critics privately, the movie's bad. Well, apparently, uh, with Eternals, uh, Within moments after the movie's world premiere, uh, there was spoilers tweeted out saying that Harry Styles was Eros and was going to be in the film. Literally yeah. moments after it. I, um, I so remember I, reading I, it. I had that so, spoiled for me. I was so like, I can I can certainly understand why they would not want to like try and keep yeah. that from happening again, especially for such a big film as this, I when think there is so much hype behind it, when there is so much expected of it. Spider Man No Way Home has proven how hard it is to keep a secret in Hollywood. Which on the flip side, we should really commend uh, Grogu and how well kept secret that was uh, for the Mandalorian season one. Yeah. That, that should greatly be commended. But Spider-Man No Way Home has proven how not a single secret can be kept safe. Because we heard about Doc Ock, Green Goblin... Toby Maguire, Andrew Garfield. We heard about all these things, Electro, a year ago. A year ago. A year and a half ago. They weren't done yeah. with the movie. They they were barely started with the movie. And everyone was talking about this as if it was fact. And back then it was like conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> but more of them turned out to be true than less. <laughs> And potentially Daredevil now showing up in it. There's another one to add to the list. And it's just like, it's just one thing after another that you go back to a year and a half ago and you're like, everything people guessed, predicted, they maybe actually knew. And it was all true. 
it feels like Han Solo from The Force Awakens. It's true, all of it. All of it. Wait, and and so like the fact that they couldn't keep Eros secret in Eternals the moment it was it had its premiere, like if anything's spoiled in that forty minutes of Spider Man No Way Home, it's probably getting tweeted about. Because mm-hmm. what film critic doesn't want a hundred thousand retweets, you know? <laughs> right, right. Makes them a little bit more popular. Yeah. Money. Oh, and then they get a complaint from Disney saying, hey, you got to delete that. Okay, but I already got all the followers, so <laughs> my job is done here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know. It, it is crazy. I, I think we're, we're now in an area, era with Hollywood that, like, the desire for spoilers is so great that it's almost impossible to keep things secret. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, as a huge fan of movies and a huge fan of these large IP projects, it's a mistake. It is a mistake for fans to spoil ourselves. Am I happy that I know Doc Ock and Green Goblin are in the movie? I am. But man, do I wish I could have had that shock in the theater. Man, I won't even say that. I wish I could have had that shock in the first trailer. Instead, I knew it eight months before the first trailer somehow. True. And like, we're, we're, we're getting this instant gratification of like these shocking spoilers. And there may be a tenth as satisfying as they would be totally fresh seeing the movie in full. Mm-hmm in context and it's a mistake for us to spoil ourselves um it's hard because we do love it we always want to talk about it but uh and i mean obviously anything that shows up on the internet we're going to talk about on the podcast so we kind of inadvertently spoil ourselves regardless of whether we want to or not but it's it's a mistake if people find stuff out, they should keep it to themselves. Let wait till people see it in the movie. Um, and that's a crazy. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm basically saying that I want less things to talk about during the podcast, <laughs> which is not exactly true, mm-hmm. but it is kind of true that I, I want less things to talk about so that I have more things to talk about when it comes to the movie reviews. Gotcha. Well, uh, also kind of along with, uh, I've just been clicking through stuff, uh, kind of along with uh, No Way Home, uh, Kirsten Dunst was asked if she'd like to return to the role, to her role, because all these other like um, people She said, what do you mean like to? <laughs> she said, I wish they'd put me in another one, like old girl Mary Jane. Why not? Old girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would do it. Why not? That would be fun. I would never say no to something like that. I'd be old MJ at this point with little Spidey babies. Well, not quite, but <laughs> I don't want to uh, get into the whole cancer story arc of Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, let's just remind people that he was bitten by a radioactive spider. True. Uh, yikes. <laughs> 
there's a reason why Peter Parker and Mary J. Watson have to break up like every five years in the comics, because otherwise they actually are gonna extend the relationship forever. And uh, then they'll have to answer for the tough questions. <laughs> I think also Peter Parker's story is that like happily ever after kind of never happens. You're just always working towards it. And you can get like 99% there and that's good enough. And you have to embrace when you're 99% there. Cause sometimes you just don't get that last percent. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I guess cause we're kind of done. Can I just, I guess it's not a rant. Can I, hmm, what's, what's a positive word for rant? Uh, is it short? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so watching Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, uh, I finished Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. Nice. I have decided, and, and maybe we could talk about this in whole, we could rank all the Spider-Man villains from all the, all the movies. <clears throat> all right. That's something I like to do. But as of right now that I'm holding, Doc Ock, the best villain. And it's not close in my mind. Uh, but Doc Ock is the best. He's mm -hmm. the most interesting. He's the most complex. So much is going on with his character. Uh, <laughs> Which is like, good because you're going to get a continuation of that in No Way Home. He's like, it's so weird because you get the line, like, the power of the sun in the palm of my hands that sounds so like power hungry mm -hmm. but then you like really watch his character and the whole reason he's doing all this is to further mankind and solve the energy crisis <laughs> like uh <laughs> he's just trying to further science like it's a villain of circumstance and and then the arms kind of take over a little bit of his ambition but it becomes complex because now he kind of has an antagonist within himself. Uh, right. So he's easily the most complicated. Also, Spider-Man 2 is possibly the greatest version of superhero loses their superpowers. And it's because it's not just superhero loses their superpowers. <laughs> it's superhero chooses to give up their superpowers. Now, I didn't know what you're thinking. If you remember the movie, it's not quite a choice. Right. But he does embrace the choice. He does embrace it saying, like, I don't have which to save really anyone. Interesting, which is really interesting. Because I think in a lot of other superhero things, like the Flash loses his powers, and then he's like, okay, well, then Barry Allen can be the hero. Right? Like, that's the next decision. That he doesn't give up being a hero, he gives up the Flash. Mm-hmm. Peter Parker gives up being a hero. He sees a guy getting beat up. He walks away from it. He sees um, cops driving down the street. He walks the other direction. He is frequently just abandoning New York as a superhero. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's pretty powerful stuff. <laughs> that here's this guy who's like so pure of heart and has done nothing wrong intentionally. And now he finally does. And he has this awesome moment staring uh, out the window right before his neighbor offers him chocolate cake. And 
uh, he says something to the effect of like, am I not supposed to get what I want? And it's like really powerful stuff doing the things that you were like, I guess, thrust into versus right. the things that you want. And right. then he has this awesome conversation with Aunt May, which is kind of like, I would argue the turning point of the movie is this conversation with Aunt May mm -hmm. where she says, hey, sometimes in order to find calmness and stillness within yourself, you have to accept that you're not going to fulfill your dreams. And of course, his dream to be with MJ or whatnot, to, right. to be good in school, to embrace his scientific brain. And in order to find some sort of stillness, you have to embrace that you're not going to fulfill your dream. Of course, by then stepping away from his dream and accepting his reality that he has to be Spider-Man, he is lucky enough to then be rewarded with certain aspects of his dream that MJ realizes that she wants to spend her life with him and uh, all kinds of things. And what, uh, what he really needs to do is pay his rent. Right? Yes. Maybe he can pay for it in the chocolate cake that. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the chocolate cake is so good because it's like a pretty meaningless scene and almost no words are spoken in it. Right. But he's having such a hard day. He's having this, like one of the hardest crises a human can have, which is like the acceptance of not getting the things you want or the conflict of wanting one thing but being forced to do another mm -hmm. and just that conflict of interest and then his neighbor just offers him cake and now it's not a bad day you know <laughs> like he still doesn't have an answer but it's not a bad day mm -hmm. and and so that that i think is amazing with spider-man too spider-man one is an amazing movie though there are shots in it that I'm just like, Sam Raimi is an absolute genius. And I'm so looking forward to uh, Doctor Strange. And because I've been kind of watching some uh, beloved horror films uh, lately, it's kind of made me want to watch Evil Dead, which are Sam Raimi's zombie movies. Okay. Also with Bruce Campbell. A returning cast member who has to be in Doctor Strange too. If if he's not, we riot. <laughs> uh, and uh, but there's like so many scenes that like Harry looks exact. Somehow they made James Franco look exactly like Willem Dafoe. Like there's no doubt in my mind that I'm like you age James Franco up 20, 30 years, that's Willem Dafoe. <laughs> They're like, that yeah. is father and son. Yeah. And then the way they act, though, how he's so dismissive at every turn of Harry and so uh, caring for Peter <laughs> as, like, this sort of prodigal son it's, aspect. It's so... It's, but it's also obvious. Like, it's, it's really on the nose. Like, uh, at the graduation where he his son's like, eh... No, but I, me. I think that scene, though, is awesome. Because the way the characters are positioned, I think I talked about this last week also while you weren't here. Uh -huh. How you have P 
Peter looking in one direction, Norman looking at Peter, and Harry looking at the back of Norman's head. <laughs> and they're the way Harry and Norman are positioned, they look like you could just swap them places and you wouldn't notice because they're positioned like identically. Mm. But one character is saying all these like complimentary things. Oh, the science award, what a prestigious accolade. And then Harry's just like, you never compliment me in the back. And he's like, oh gosh, he loves him more. And the human <laughs> turns away from the conversation and walks away. True. Um, now I will say though that having now finished the movie, I got into kind of a small debate uh, about this with one of our friends. And you know what? I stand by it a hundred percent. Green Goblin is the most confusing villain <laughs> in this Spider-Man trilogy. I have no idea what the heck he wants because he says what he wants. And it just like, I have no idea what that looks like because he's angry. He wants to, so he says, um, I forget. It's I think in the scene where he's talking to himself. Okay. And the goblin says to you, I've given you everything. I've given you what you've always wanted power. And so it's like, okay. And then they're like, and we'll kill anyone who stands in our way of, of what stands in your way of what, of getting, more, wants to do. getting more power. Okay. What, what does that look like? Are you trying to run for mayor of New York? Are you trying to conquer the world? What, what is your goal with getting more power instead? Because this scene is after, um, is right after the Unity Day celebration or whatever. Yeah, Unity Day parade. And before that, Spider-Man and Green Goblin have never interacted with each other. They're both just parallel stories, and it's fantastic. Up until that point, it is an awesome story. Mm -hmm. And then Green Goblin, in that moment, he succeeds. He kills the board members of his company. He gets his revenge, which is what he wanted to do. Yeah. He had a goal. He said, oh, I'm the one who's out, am I? <laughs> and he kills everyone who wronged him, about 12 people. <laughs> and then uh, he interacts with Spider-Man, and they tough it out for a little bit, and he gets away. Mm -hmm. And then he has that inner monologue kind of thing with himself, although it's not so inner because he's crazy. And so he's like, your quest for power and all this stuff. And then he's like, well, what about Spider-Man? And he's like, well, what if he joined us? What if we didn't have to kill him? What if he joined us? And then we get that awesome rooftop scene, which I think is maybe one of the best scenes in the movie, just behind uh, the Thanksgiving dinner. Okay. Which I think is definitely the best scene in the movie. And... It, it's just like, what, what does he want? So he's like, he now offers Spider-Man a choice. He's like, he tells him the, hey, you know, you've played the hero, but if you keep playing the hero, eventually the city will turn on you. And you get that awesome quote that's repeated in many different things. Um, you either die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yep. Uh, and you already kind of start to see that within this movie. 
but he's like no i am the hero and he immediately turns down green goblin he's like not a chance and uh saying green goblin's like all right i'm coming after you then and i'm gonna set traps to capture you and so he sets a building on fire i guess so that spider-man will come to save people right this be old lady surprise the green goblins there but it's like and this is the part that we're kind of debating is like is green goblin just trying to cause carnage and whatnot i I think you've convinced me man i don't think he really has a plan chaos no he set the building on fire specifically to trap spider-man but my question is let's envision this alternate reality where green goblin kills spider-man what next i have no idea <laughs> i don't actually know what spider-man is stopping green goblin from doing other than stopping him from trying to trap him well maybe seeing his character in the way home might give you further clarification of what his yeah. like more of his personality because we're gonna see a um green goblin that hasn't had to deal with a spider-man for a while um because like he's his own yeah, yeah, I agree with you. The only sentence I've come to is Green Goblin is trying to kill Spider-Man because he's in the way. Now, typically, sure. there's a continuation to that sentence of he is in the way of the Green Goblin trying to blank. <laughs> I don't know what the rest of that sentence is watching this movie. I don't know what it is. No. And that's where I think the it's really hurt. It hurts the movie, uh, even though I love it. Uh, it hurts the movie. Um, another thing in this movie that massively underrated. Go ahead and pick like two or three words to describe J. Jonah Jameson, as you remember him from Sp- Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. Loud. <laughs> Factually uh, true. Aggressive. Aggressive. Um, rude <laughs> rude okay i'll even give him cheap in spider-man 2 he's very cheap okay um what about good man does that come to mind <laughs> no it should <laughs> why because i gotta say i honestly think this scene being in spider-man one is up there it's right behind the rooftop scene and the thanksgiving dinner Mm -hmm. and spider-man comes in i think it's the second time he's given pictures of spider-man uh to j jonah jameson and he's asking for more money and he's like you're being ridiculous get get out of my office and all that stuff and they like kind of argue about it for a while but ultimately j jonah jameson gets his way and so peter leaves kind of disappointed and then the green goblin shows up and he's like who's spider-man's photographer you know uh where can i find him because he wants to find spider-man right and and j jonah jameson being held by the throat of the green goblin who mind you has already killed 12 people in this movie at minimum and disrupted an entire like that's basically a terrorist attack attacking that parade that's basically a terrorist attack yeah his motivations 
were very like specific um, to like his company. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the fact that it was at the parade, I think, is actually terrorism. <laughs> I mean, probably, yeah. And and so, like, so you have this terrorist who has killed people. His agenda is completely unknown to the public. He's grabbing J. Jonah Jameson by the throat, who up until this point has been cheap, rude, loud, a bunch of unlikable qualities in a person. Mm-hmm. And he says, who's Spider-Man's photographer? And J. Jonah Jameson says... I don't know the pictures come in the mail right after Peter Parker just left his office five seconds earlier. And Peter Parker's not even his employee. He's freelance. He's a nobody. You know, in Spider-Man 3, he actually gets the job. That's the whole point. Yeah, but I'd say say the rest of his actions also kind of outweigh like one instance of of him being good. the, I can only point to a second single instance of him being good in, in the entire time I've seen him on screen. But the other instances, yeah, is he a biased human being? Yes. And being working in the news outlet, is that probably wrong? Yeah, it is. But is he still a good man that's willing no. to protect people? Doing yes. one good thing does not make him a good man. He's willing to protect people. Doing one good thing does not make him a good man. Then why doesn't I, he give up Peter? If he's not a good man, why doesn't he give him up? Because, because thwarting someone who's right there in your face might be... Might His life him. is on the line. And? I don't know enough about him to... That you're, you're making a lot of assumptions if here. Jay Jonah Jameson is such a bad person, why isn't he also selfish? Why doesn't he also I, care about his own longevity? Most, I, you most bad people are very self-centered in their own longevity. Maybe, yeah, sure. <laughs> so why isn't he concerned with that? In that He's moment, not, I... in that moment, if, if that's me in his position, saying those words, that's me saying, you're going to have to kill me because I'm not talking. Yeah. And like that's a crazy thing for this character who has a lot of bad attributes, a lot of negative attributes to do, which shows that he is still a caring man. Or he's going to be spiteful right in the face of someone who, who might kill him either way. Especially, yeah. if, especially if this person who has already killed 12 people that on the out front did absolutely nothing wrong to him. J. Jonah Jameson might think that he's going to die no matter what. And so why not spite the person who's going to kill you right Maybe, in front of you? but I think I, you're making assumptions. I made a bunch of assumptions there, but you also make them. I Yeah, you got a good point. Uh, but like, I think J. Jonah Jameson's an, un, an unethical person. But he's not an evil person. He's okay. not a bad person. And I don't know. I, I just, I found new love for the character that wasn't just out of the memes of him. All right, let's talk about something else. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson in Women to You basically doxes Peter Parker. That's a different J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> That's Maybe. A different J. Now, would this J. Jonah Jameson probably do the same thing? Yeah, I have no doubt. I also... I would argue in uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, he's kind of in the right to do so. Spider-Man in the public's eye is a murderer. He has just exposed a murderer. What a heroic act. Now, does he not have all the facts? Yes. But does the media always release things without having all the facts? Always. (laughs) So 
is he just doing his job? He's doing his job. Yeah, I guess. Unfortunately, really good at his job mm -hmm. <laughs> of swaying public opinion. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, Spider-Man in the public's eye is a murderer, which I think is going to be interesting in No Way Home with him going to school. <laughs> right. Oh, we're going to school with a murderer. This is interesting. <laughs> I feel like a lot of parents would pull their children out of school for that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So that, that's definitely something No Way Home is going to have to address. Maybe he gets a resolve before the school term starts totally back up. Maybe. Although it doesn't. I mean, they do walk into school when there are like, students there. So. Yeah, was that at the beginning or the end of the movie? That was at I the don't end, know. right? I don't remember. It's been a while since Team Far From Home. Maybe he shows up once and then everybody's like, whoa, what the heck are you doing here? <laughs> like, you are a right. murderer. <laughs> like, like, it's the scariest first day of school ever where <laughs> a potential killer shows up. Yeah. Like I said, I think a lot of people, a lot of parents would be upset about that. And, and I mean, that's probably not something we're going to see in the movie at all, but yeah, who knows? I, I hope it is. Maybe he gets a, maybe that's why he's in police custody in the trailers. Maybe first day of school, he gets arrested. Maybe they're like, oh, we got him. <laughs> He's in English class. <laughs> ah, yes. Where every Mysterio murderer is. Um, Hiding out in plain sight, man. But yeah, so like, I, I don't fault J. Jonah Jameson for outing Spider-Man. I mean, from the public's perception, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, Fair. And also... I mean, he was given the evidence and he posts the evidence. But, like, I don't know. It's weird because, like, I, I not working in the media, like, how much is the media supposed to vet a source, you know? All right. Like, they received this source of Mysterio saying what's happening. And then, according to the public, Mysterio's dead. So, well, I think it depends a lot on how reputable the source is, and to me, the Daily Beagle does not seem super reputable. Yeah, certainly not this one. Um, and if that's the case, then I'm surprised people are going with... I mean, sure, it would definitely be go viral that, like, potentially Spider-Man has been unmasked, but you would think with a source, like, not that reputable, then it wouldn't be as bad, but who knows, man. But I mean, maybe, it is, maybe it is more reputable than we think to the common person. Maybe. Because that's kind of the way the Daily Bugle has always been portrayed as this very, they're always super biased. And that doesn't seem to bother anyone except for Peter Parker. <laughs> because, you know, he's the one actively being slandered in it. Right, right. Um, and so, but yeah, like, so as far as saying it's non-reputable, I don't know if the pub, the average MCU citizen thinks that. Even though from an outside perspective, it's like, this is very a, clearly a very biased news company. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm just not sure that, and maybe that's ultimate commentary on our media. That like from an external perspective, when we see the news, how the news is done, we're like, oh yes, they're very biased and they're an evil company. But then we're like, 
hey, our our news coverage in the real world, gobble, 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 let me eat this up. <laughs> this couldn't be biased at all. <laughs> and hmm, I wonder if it is commentary. Maybe. If it is, it slipped by a lot of people's noses because people are still <laughs> watching the news religiously. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I think it's so Dude, good. a week away, man. A little over a week away. I'm excited. <clears throat> Although I will say one of my favorite lines of his that he says, um, and again, it's not a it's not a positive line. <laughs> Peter says, uh, "Spider-Man wasn't doing that. Um, you're trying to frame him. That's libel." And he says, "I resent that. Libel is spoken. It's slander if it's written." <laughs> <laughs> that to me sounds like something a bad person would say <clears throat> actually um and in fact i could i would probably go so far as to say some things about that person's character having heard those again he's unethical but does he value human life i think definitely which i think is possibly the most important thing <laughs> um okay. now it's definitely helpful to back that up <laughs> mm -hmm. with some other positive attributes but but you, you you can go like to the furthest extreme right like there there were sayings that like the, this is an extreme example but like hitler wouldn't harm a fly people would say that hitler wouldn't harm a fly oh what a nice thing to say about someone <laughs> so that's your point you know, it's like very clearly different perspectives. Someone who's like clearly committing atrocities and you're able to say positive things about them. And then here's a yeah. guy that actually saves a human's life, <laughs> you know, um, by not telling Green Goblin it's Peter Parker, you know? Fair. And... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've just, I think they're great movies though. They're great movies. Certainly just, classics. Despite all their flaws, super nostalgic. Sam Raimi's a great director. I hope there's a little less slow-mo in Doctor Strange too. I think that's maybe the biggest flaw. Um, granted, a lot of the slow-mo was for the spider sense, so it kind of worked. Yeah. And it's something I actually miss a little bit from uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man is there's not enough emphasis on the spider sense. He has to say something in order for his spider sense to activate. I'm trying to say that something is coming, you know? I feel weird. I He, he constantly vocalizes his spider sense. Yeah. The benefit of Sam Raimi's method is you, you could just see what was happening through Peter's senses <laughs> which i i think is really cool um and a lot kind of puts the audience in the spot yeah 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 a lot more immersive mm -hmm. um, next up is spider-man 3 and then the andrew garfield spider-mans and i probably won't get around to homecoming and far from home because i don't even know where to watch them on i think they're on stars which i'm not paying for that so one day they'll be on Disney Plus. I think it's like a year from now or something. Uh, until then. Those old deals. Um, 
But yeah, I do want to rank all the Spider-Man villains, though. It's now Doc Ock, Green Goblin, everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely Rhino, then Electro, then Sandman, then... Doc Ock, Green Goblin. Goblin, Doc Ock. Oh, no, sorry, the Lizard, too. Um, uh, Let's see. The Shocker. (laughs) The Shocker, yeah, yeah. That's the thing that's crazy. crazy. Is it probably is like mm-hmm. Doc Ock, Green Goblin, and then Vulture and Mysterio. <laughs> uh, you know the the main villains. Put chameleon in it. <laughs> Hasn't been a villain yet, so. Yeah, he's actually somewhat a hero. <laughs> yeah, somewhat on the good side. Um, <laughs> Venom, no. <laughs> Uh, Carnage? How bad is Carnage? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's something to look forward to. Probably going to conclude here unless you found any secretive news articles that I didn't know about. Uh, Not really. All right. Good. We've been talking about Spider-Man for a half an hour, so we reached the quota we're being paid for. Oh, dear God. Uh, (laughs) Uh... I'm just kidding, but it would seem like everyone on the internet is being paid to talk about Spider-Man. <laughs> I wish it was true. Um, yeah, going to go ahead and wrap up here. Maybe I'll play something uh, on Twitch tonight. I don't know. Uh, if that happens, tune in for it. Otherwise, uh, Ian, thanks for fixing your internet. You know, I'm happy to have it back, too. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And I'm going to go eat some dinner. My name is Joshua Troop. This is Unanimous Indecision. That's just kidding. I didn't say what next week's movie was. Um, Hope you didn't leave. Next week's movie... Oh, I kind of thought I already said it. That's why. Uh, West Side Story... (laughs) And being the Ricardos, the I Love Lucy movie. Nice. Um, so both of those for next Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern time on twitch.tv slash decision. Also, don't forget Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern time as well. We're talking Wheel of Time's next episode, Young Justice, and Hawkeye's next episodes as well. Hawkeye has already dropped, and I've kind of given you a preliminary tease about my thoughts about it. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, but it'll still be fun conversations nonetheless. I think those episodes are better the more ranty they are. <laughs> <laughs> it is too hard when it's good to mm-hmm. uh, To say the conclusion again, I'm Joshua True of Disney Unanimous Indecision. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>